This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. COP27 in Egypt finally concluded on Sunday morning, 36 hours late, with delegates agreeing to establish a loss and damage fund to help those most affected by rising temperatures, something many thought impossible two weeks ago. That seemed to be broadly welcomed by environmental groups. They were less enthused by the timid measures to reduce the use of fossil fuels. Malaysia looks set for a hung parliament, after none of the three big coalitions secured a majority in the country's general election. A group led by Anwar Ibrahim, the opposition leader, won the most seats. He is trying to attract support from enough other MPs to form a government. An alliance that includes Muhyiddin Yassin, a former prime minister and an Islamic party, fared surprisingly well. China's defence ministry said it was willing to meet with America at a regional security summit in Cambodia this week. Talks between Austin Lloyd, America's defence secretary, and Wei Feng He, his Chinese counterpart, would be the first military ones at a high level since China halted such communications after the visit of Nancy Pelosi, America's House Speaker, to Taiwan in August. Elon Musk, Twitter's new boss, said that Donald Trump's account will be reinstated. Mr. Musk had launched a poll on the social media platform asking users whether to allow the former president back onto the site. They narrowly voted yes. Mr. Trump was banned from Twitter for life in the wake of the Capitol riot in 2021. John Ray, the new CEO of FTX, until recently one of the world's biggest crypto exchanges, said that he is looking to sell or restructure its businesses. Mr. Ray took over from Sam Bankman-Fried, the exchange's founder, amid the company's implosion. The saga has left behind one million creditors and triggered several investigations. A timeline for the possible completion is not clear. Turkey launched air raids against Kurdish targets in Iraq and Syria. A week after a terrorist attack in Istanbul, Turkey's commercial capital killed six people. Turkey blames Kurdish militants for the bombing. The PKK, a Kurdish group that is banned in Turkey, denies being responsible for the attack. Turkey's army has launched three incursions against Kurdish rebels across the Syrian border since 2016. Ukraine's Prime Minister Denis Shmihal said almost half of the country's power grid had been disabled by Russian missile attacks. The attacks have left swathes of Ukraine without electricity, just as Kyiv, the capital, had its first snowfall of the season. On Thursday, President Vladimir Zelensky said that 10 million Ukrainians had no power. And word of the week. Kafala. An Arabic word roughly meaning sponsorship. Workers under Qatar's kafala system often have their freedom curtailed. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. What next for Ukraine? One week on from Ukraine's liberation of Kherson city, the front lines of the war are stabilizing again. Russia has been building new defensive positions on the left bank of the Dnieper River and moving thousands of troops from Kherson province to shore up its lines elsewhere. 
Western officials are unsure whether Ukraine has enough left in the tank for another big offensive before the end of the year. If so, it might come in Luhansk, a region in the east where Russia is under sustained pressure around the city of Svatove, or even in Zaporizhia, towards the land bridge to Crimea. Meanwhile, Russia, retreating on the ground, is intensifying its war in the air. On Thursday, it conducted five airstrikes and launched 25 cruise missiles across Ukraine. The campaign is designed to destroy the country's energy infrastructure and leave Ukrainians shivering over winter. In Kyiv, temperatures have dropped below freezing and the first snow of the season has arrived. A new Kazakhstan, but politics as usual. Kazakhstan votes on Sunday in a presidential election that Kasim Jomart Tokayev, the incumbent, is expected to win by a landslide. He called the vote 18 months early to deliver a, quote, radical reset of the political system following protests in January that left 238 people dead and threatened Mr. Tokayev's grip on power. Nursultan Nazarbayev, Mr. Tokayev's predecessor, stamped out political opposition in the Central Asian country. He was routinely re-elected, with vote shares of nearly 100%. He stepped down in 2019 with the intention of micromanaging his successor. But Mr. Tokayev has distanced himself from the former strongman. Many suspect that Mr. Nazarbayev's cronies stoked the violence in January. Mr. Tokayev now promises to foster multi-party democracy. He says he is building a, quote, new Kazakhstan, but seems to be using Mr. Nazarbayev's playbook. The, quote, opposition in Sunday's election consists of five political nobodies who have done nothing to hold Mr. Tokayev to account. His re-election is certain. It is very much old-style politics in Mr. Tokayev's new Kazakhstan. The World Cup kicks off. Rarely has a global sporting event created as much apprehension as the Football World Cup in Qatar. The party, which starts on Sunday when Qatar takes on Ecuador, does not feel festive yet. On Friday, officials banned the sale of alcohol in stadiums. Accommodation is still being completed. Fans have arrived, but no one is sure if they are real or paid by the organizers. The timing of the tournament, in the middle of a grueling European football season, means teams have had little time to prepare. The stadiums, however, are ready. Built at enormous cost and on the backs of migrant laborers, they will look superb on camera. And though they may be exhausted, the players will be up for it. The World Cup remains the sport's biggest prize, and when the stars light up the pitch, even the most cynical fans may forget their misgivings, which range from concerns over FIFA's corruption to Qatar's poor human rights record. Mind control where you're going. For many people, the merging of the human mind and robotic intelligence is more than a pipe dream or science fiction. Those with spinal cord injury, for instance, can use technology that connects nerves beneath damaged tissue to the brain, 
allowing the paralyzed to walk again. Now, as reported in the journal iScience, three tetraplegics, people paralyzed from the neck down, have learned to use mind-controlled wheelchairs. Special skullcaps sensed their brain waves, which were translated into directions for an intelligent, powered wheelchair. The commands were simple. Concentrate on moving both hands to turn left and both feet to turn right. As the participants practiced, the algorithm improved at interpreting their personal brain patterns. The humans' brains changed, too. Their neural connectivity evolved as mind control came more naturally. After several months of training, two of the three tetraplegics could navigate a cluttered room using thought alone. Weekend Profile Cheng Peng Zhao, Boss of Binance The implosion of FTX, until recently a major crypto exchange, has left plenty of people with egg on their faces. But one crypto giant has emerged stronger, at least for now. Binance has cemented its status as the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange. And Chengpeng Zhao, its 45-year-old co-founder and boss, has triumphed. The crypto crash may have taken its toll on Mr. Zhao's fortune, but he is still worth a cool $17 billion. Mr. Zhao was born in China in 1977. When he was 12, his family, facing repression at home, fled to Canada. But after studying computer science at McGill University in Montreal, Mr. Zhao returned to China. In 2015, convinced that Bitcoin, quote, would do to finance what the internet would do to information, he launched BGTech, which offered software to crypto exchanges in Shanghai. China soon shut down all crypto exchanges, but Mr. Zhao was undeterred, skirting Chinese restrictions by relocating to various hubs around Asia. In July 2017, he launched his own cryptocurrency exchange, Binance. Today, dozens of billions of dollars worth of assets change hands each day on the platform. Binance usually takes a 0.1% fee for its trouble. The company has thrived thanks to Mr. Zhao's ruthless decision-making. At the height of the boom in ICOs, initial coin offerings, in 2017, Binance rushed to list the flurry of newly launched cryptocurrencies as other exchanges dawdled. Earlier this month, after rumors of trouble emerged at FTX, Mr. Zhao said that Binance would sell $600 million worth of an FTX token, a move that precipitated his rival's cash crunch. A complete crash across the sector would probably obliterate Mr. Zhao's wealth, most of which is held in digital assets. And Binance faces other problems. Critics say Mr. Zhao's taste for, quote, controlled chaos, his reliance on a small inner circle, and his ravenous appetite for growth have led to corner-cutting. The exchange's history is peppered with damaging hacks and allegations of money laundering. This week, Mr. Zhao promised more transparency and said Binance would prove that it has enough liquid assets to face any crisis. Yet as the crypto crash deepens and regulators come sniffing, the digital Teflon man may not prove resistant to corrosion forever. The winners of this week's quiz 
Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Hyunwook Kim, Seoul, South Korea, North America, Donald Rotzin, Greenwich, Connecticut, America, Central and South America, Caio Priskulnik, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Europe, Bruce Joy, Kelmsford, Britain. Africa, Karen Trudeau, Kempton Park, South Africa. Oceania, Dominic Harvey, Auckland, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Dora Carrington, Pigs, Barneys, Snow Patrol, and Clifford Irving. The theme is children's television shows. Dora the Explorer, Peppa Pig, Barney and Friends, Paw Patrol, and Clifford the Big Red Dog. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, Here's the quote of the day from Jack Dorsey. You don't have to start from scratch to do something interesting. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening 